Amen. Rich message in that. Thank you so much. John chapter 14. In the word of God tonight, John 14. Good to see you tonight. This is great to all these young people over here and everyone. And I uh, appreciate uh, those of you that have been here every night this week, others that have come every night that you could. And it's been wonderful to have hungry hearts. It's been neat uh, uh, before and after the services to have conversations about truth. And that shows me that uh, people are thinking, and the Spirit of God is working, and He's uh, stirring, and uh, uh, that's just a wonderful thing. It's been an absolute joy to be back here at Harvest Hills. I was thinking uh, in the middle of the week, I told Mary Lynn, I said, this is just a blast. <laughs> I always love it uh, uh, when uh, my wife and I get together with your pastor and his wife. We have a blast. We really do. And uh, we've had some just precious times this week. And it's been neat over the years. I've uh, looked at... Uh, the churches that the Lord has connected me with, and in the last several years especially, become very grateful for the men and the churches uh, that God has connected us with, and very grateful for this connection here. And can't believe this ninth meeting is coming to a close. <laughs> Unbelievable. And uh, somebody must be getting old, but <laughs> at any rate, what a joy to be back and appreciate the hungry hearts, the upturned faces, the eyeballs instead of eyelids. <laughs> Believe me, we notice. <laughs> and uh, just, uh, just a joy. Thank you again for the privilege of being here and may the Lord continue his work. I know that he will. Well, John chapter 14, in the word of God tonight, we have been honing in really on personal revival. I want to see a connection now that goes bigger. 
little revivals ignite bigger revivals. And I want us to see a connection uh, in light of that uh, tonight. Now, we live in an interesting time period. Obviously, I think the eschatological clock began to tick again probably in 1948 after 2,000 years or more. That prophecy from Ezekiel about uh, God's people coming back to the land, uh, that has happened. They still need the breath of God to come into them, uh, the uh, valley of the dry bones and all of that. But uh, things are ticking. I don't know how much time we have. I don't know. Uh, but obviously, uh, we live in uh, a world where things are happening fast now, and uh, it's interesting. But you know, we still live in what is called the age of the Holy Spirit. Jesus went to the throne. Acts 2, we're told that he sent the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has not been sent back yet. <laughs> and so we still live in this opportunity while things in, uh, in a certain sense wax worse and worse and there is the debauchery uh, that's taking place all around our globe. The fact is, on those, in, the, on, in, in a parallel track, there can still be the mighty moves of the Spirit. And uh, there are some interesting moves of the Spirit of, uh, that have already taken place in the 21st century. And so tonight, let's look at a text that shows us uh, really a foundation for faith to look to the Lord in regard to this. I think I mentioned earlier this week the country called Myanmar uh, that uh, is occasionally in the news. It ought to be in the news a whole lot more with the military coup and the civil war that's going on there. Uh, my dear friends uh, uh, wrote me again today uh, with some of the things that are happening over there. But they had a great revival in the Chin Hills, uh, the western side of that country in 2005-2006 where they went for 249 consecutive nights. Now we went for six. Can you imagine? 249 consecutive nights, they would move the venue because they don't really have good transportation. A lot of people just walk or use bicycles, so they would move the venue so that other people could come, but they averaged two to 4,000 people a night for 249 consecutive nights. Now, there's a great story that led up to that, but friends, that wasn't 200 years ago. That's the 21st century. God still moves. And there's been uh, smaller moves that have taken place here and there. There was one in DeBarton, West Virginia in 2016 with teenagers. 3,000 teenagers got saved from March to May in uh, the two counties that border West Virginia and Kentucky. Uh, and it started when a teenager got burdened and prayed. And the Spirit of God said, preach in your school, in public school. And he did. And God began to move. Now, friends, how does this happen? Well, let's look at some words tonight and let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. This is John 14. This is Jesus speaking. And this is the greatest treatise on the Holy Spirit in the entire Scripture. It's a few hours before the cross. And I want us to read verse 12. Jesus says, Amen, Amen. Verily, verily. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Now what is that talking about? Now let's look at this tonight. I want to speak on the subject from greater words to greater works. And let's ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher tonight. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for these that have gathered here on this Friday night. Lord, we need a fresh touch from heaven tonight. Lord, we need you to open our eyes. Lord, we need you to nurture faith. We need you to move us from wishful thinking to being convinced of your words. Greater words for greater works. 
Lord, would you ignite faith tonight? May we recognize that you're not done yet. And as long as you delay your coming, you're still not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Lord, tonight, stir us with the truth. And, Lord, bless us tonight. And, oh, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us tonight, I pray. We thank you for it. I do ask, Lord, that the victory that Jesus won at the cross over the enemy would be clearly manifest tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1947, there were two elderly sisters on the island of Lewis. Lewis is in the outer Hebrides Islands off the northwest coast of Scotland. You'll see a stretch of islands. The biggest one is the island of Lewis. And uh, there were two ladies there by the name of Peggy and Christine Smith. They were up in years. One was 82, one was 84. One was severely crippled with arthritis. I've seen a picture, very bent over. Uh, the other had become blind. But these ladies walked with God, and they were burdened that their island was becoming indifferent to the things of God, and uh, that uh, the young people uh, didn't really know the power uh, of Jesus in a manifest way. And uh, they were especially burdened because it's 1947, and they had not seen a big revival since 1939. That meant eight years had gone by. That meant that they were teenagers that were just children that didn't know the power of the 1939 revival. And so they began to pray. They lived in the little village of Barvis on the west coast of the Isle of Lewis. And cold waters up there and, and strong winds and, and a, lot, a lot of trees. Uh, it's pretty flat land. They have peat bogs. And on the south of the island, there's some, uh, uh, some hills uh, and some trees. But in their part, a uh, very cold place. But they had a little uh, 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 cottage, and they would sit in front of the peat fires, and they would pray, God, we need you to move again. God, we need you to come again. We need you to stir again. We need you to manifest your presence once again. And they prayed, and the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into a couple of months. And then one night, there before that fire, as they were praying, the Spirit of God stirred them, and he knows how to do this, and they knew his voice. And uh, stirred them with the words of Isaiah 44, verse 3, a promise that says, For I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out of my spirit. And those words came home to their hearts in such a way that they knew that God had heard their cry. And they'd become convinced of it now. And they had the promise. They had the foundation now. And with that kind of confidence, they went to their pastor the next day, James Mackay, at the uh, church there in Barbus, and they announced to him that revival was coming. And they said, you better get the men of the church together and start praying now. And now we need to ask God to bring through what he's already promised. Hope you catch that. In other words, they had prayed up to the promise. Now they're taking hold of it. And it's what they called praying through. And they said, get the men together and let's pray through asking God to bring to pass what he's already given us in that spiritual realm. Well, apparently this pastor respected these ladies because he got the men of the church together and they started praying. Uh, they call it a barn. It's not really a barn. I've been, I've been to the place where, this, uh, uh, where they went. Uh, but a little uh, outbuilding uh, that they used in the farm country there. And uh, like a barn, I suppose, in some ways. Low roof. Very cold. That's where the men met. They became later known as the praying men of Barvis. But at first, they were just going through the motions because they didn't have the faith of these two ladies. You know, you can't fake it. You can try, but it's not the same. 
Wishful thinking is not the same as being convinced of the words of God by the Spirit of God. But they're praying. And days turned into weeks for them. A couple months go by. And then on one occasion, John Smith, young deacon, read from Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And he looked at the other men and he said, you know, it seems to me to be so much humbug for us to be here praying if we don't have clean hands and a pure heart. And this young man held his hands up to heaven and said, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And the Spirit of God fell, just as we sang about tonight. He fell on them. That is, he manifested his presence. And immediately they all went to the ground because that's what you do. There's nothing weird about that. You read about it in the Bible. When people are in the presence of God, you get down. I've seen this happen a time or two. Uh, and uh, they, they got on their faces. And I'm going to tell you, they came clean with God. You talk about dealing with sin. It was dealt with now. And by the end of that prayer meeting that night, where God had come into that barn, they knew, yes, God is going to come to our village. God is going to move. Now they had come to the faith that the two ladies had. So the circle of faith has now widened from the two older ladies now to a circle of five or six men. And they covenanted together to use their word uh, to, to continue to pray for God to bring this into full fruition and that they would continue to pray and not cease to pray until God had made, to use their wording, quoting the scripture, Jerusalem a praise in the land. And so now... You have the ladies and the men with confidence, God's going to do this. And now they're just asking God to bring it to pass. Well, a few weeks more go by, and the best I can tell, comparing records, it's about an 18-month period of time in this intercession. Uh, some intercession takes three months, some takes 30 years. I don't understand some of those dynamics, but in this story, it's about 18 months. And they began to sense in their spirits from the Holy Spirit that it was time. It was time for God to work. And so they sensed it was time to call a, a, a mission. We would call it a meeting, much like we're having this week. They called it a mission. And so they were seeking the Lord as to who, what evangelist they should invite. Well, James Mackay, the pastor, went over to the mainland of Scotland for a, a big convention. And there he heard uh, the name of an evangelist, a Scottish evangelist by the name of Duncan Campbell. And there's a great story of what God did to prepare that man's heart for this very event. And that's an amazing story in and of itself. But this pastor sensed Duncan Campbell's the man. And he got back to the island and he wanted to tell the two uh, intercessor ladies uh, that uh, God had showed them uh, who it is. And they said, we already know. <laughs> the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. They said, his name is Duncan Campbell. <laughs> well... <laughs> They wrote a letter to Duncan Campbell, who at the time was over at a meeting on the Isle of Skye, further south. And they invited him to come in December of 1949. And Campbell looked at his schedule, and he was scheduled to be at another convention on the Isle of Skye. And he wrote back and said, I cannot come. <laughs> well, they wouldn't take no for an answer. They wrote him again. 
And there was something in the appeal from Barbas, as Duncan Campbell later said, that stirred him. He, he sensed God was moving, that he, he, he wanted to go, but, you know, ethics are ethics. He's booked over here in the sky. So he declines a second time. When the two ladies were told that he said no, they said, that's what man says. God has said otherwise. <laughs> he will be here within a fortnight. That's, of course, two weeks if you know that word. Ah, which I don't really, but that's what they tell me. <laughs> so they sent him a third letter. And interestingly, by the time he got that letter, the convention on the Isle of Skye had canceled because there was something going on in the secular world and all of the bed and breakfast and hotels were booked and so they weren't going to be able to have this and now he was free to go. And so he packed his bags and he made his way and uh, went over to a particular town on the west coast of Scotland, got on a ferry boat and arrived in December, cold December on the dock at Stornoway on the east side of Barvis. Well, the praying men met him there. He was a bit disheveled. If you ever see a picture of Duncan Campbell, his hair is always messed up. <laughs> and uh, he's standing there, and they looked at him and said, Are you walking with God? <laughs> he said, there, you know, he's a bit tired. He said, Well, I can say that I fear God. Well, apparently that was good enough because they let him get in the car. They began to make the drive. I don't know what it took in those days. I've been to the Isle of Lewis and repeated this drive. It's about a 40-minute drive from the east side to the west side. It's about two hours from the north to the south. So they went that 40-minute drive or whatever it was in those days. And as they were talking, Duncan Campbell became aware that these men were already in revival. That revival had already come. And that he would have the privilege of participating in what God was already doing. And so they had it set up for a 10-day mission. And he preached the first night and nothing happened because God lets everybody know the power is not in a man. And he preached the second night and he preached the third night. It was somewhere on the fourth or fifth night when he preached and he dismissed. I've been to the building. It's an auditorium uh, maybe, uh, uh, maybe about two-thirds the size of this auditorium. And uh, he dismissed. It was a square building. And so most of the people exited. There was an intercessor, one of the praying men over in the corner, an agony of soul. Duncan Campbell was still just, you know, gathering his things. And a deacon at the back door said, come, Mr. Campbell. See what's happening out here. And there on that parking lot, the audience that had stepped out was still standing there, but they were not standing there fellowshipping. They weren't talking. They were not on their cell phones. <laughs> they were standing there with distressed looks on their faces. The intercessor inside the building crying out for the Lord to move. And with no human leadership, all of those people came back into the building. And not only that, people that had not been to any of the services yet were stepping out of their houses. Small village, I've been there. And they're coming and they're joining this crowd at 9 o'clock as they come back into the building. And Duncan Campbell now stands up in a different atmosphere. 
An atmosphere where the powers of darkness have been banished. An atmosphere where God has rent the heavens, where God has rent through the powers of the air. And now the power of the Spirit is manifesting the presence of Christ. Not physically, but spiritually. But just as real as if it were physical. So that that Jesus who is everywhere present now is manifest in everyone in that room. In fact, that entire village is aware that God is there, that God is actually there. Duncan Campbell preached again, and now the word had no interference. It had free course. It was glorified. It was given its weight. And when that happens, people cry out to God for mercy. And that's what began to happen. And that service lasted until 4 o'clock in the morning. In the year 2000, I met several people converted in that revival and I remember one dear man told me as we were standing outside that very building he said yes I was saved in the wee part of the building <laughs> when that happened well they dismissed at 4 a.m. James Mackay went over to Peggy and Christine Smith's house because they're the intercessor ladies but because of their physical condition they could rarely even come and he wanted to tell them that the revival had come and they said we already know they said, last night, we kept pleading that one promise. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out of my spirit. And they said, God, you have given us a covenant. We would probably use the word promise. You have given us a covenant. In other words, that's what happened back some months before there in front of the peat fires when they knew God had given them those words. They said, you have given us that covenant, but there has to be a time when it is fulfilled. And said, we kept praying through the night until we saw the enemy retreating. And our wonderful lamb taking the field. <laughs> I personally believe they actually saw. But that revival continued and Duncan Campbell didn't stay for 10 days. He preached from village to village for the next three years. Now friends, what happened? What is that? Well, it's a classic example of going from greater words to greater works. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, he who believes on me, the works I do, he shall do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, friends, it is time, is it not, for God's people to believe in Jesus for greater works. What's involved? Notice with me five principles, simple principles from the text tonight. Number one, there's a connection between the words of God and the works of God. This is a wonderful truth. There's a connection between the words of God and the works of God. Now remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now look at verse 10. Jesus says, Believest thou not that I am in, my, in the Father and the Father in me? He says, The words, the words, that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Wait a second, he wasn't talking about works, he was talking about words. This is, this is really neat. He says, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not from myself, but the Father who abides in me, he does the works. Do you see it? There's a connection between the words of God and the works of God. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, literally the specific word, uh, the rhema, the words of God. You see, the words of God are the foundation of faith for the works of God, which means the works of God are the fulfillment of faith based on the words of God. That's what happened. God gave them words. In their case, it was Isaiah 44, verse 3. And they knew when they had those words, revival's coming. Because when you have the words, it will be expressed in the works. When God gives the words, and it's not your wishful thinking, yes, in due time, the words of God will be manifest as the works of God. So there's a connection between the words and the works. Secondly, faith is the necessary link to move from the words to the works. This is simple, but it's so important. Faith is the necessary link to move from the words to the works. Look in verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words. The way you believe on Jesus is because of words. That's how you got saved. It may be John 3, 16. It may be some other words. But there were words like in John 3, 16, that when you believe in him, you should not perish, but you have everlasting life. Okay. In salvation... When those words stir you and you know you need to get saved and you know you need to trust Jesus and you know that without Jesus you will die and split hell wide open and you know sin is the problem and you know hell is the consequence and you know Jesus alone is the answer. When God stirs you that when you believe on him, you have everlasting life, faith is the link that, that, that connects those words to the work, in this case, of salvation. Okay, in the same way. It's the same idea here. Faith is the necessary link to move from words to the works. He says, he who believes on me, that's, of course, based on words. And then he says, the works that I do and greater works. So faith, then, is the necessary link to move from the words to the works just as simply as faith is the link to move from saving words to the saving work of salvation in your own life. Number three. The Holy Spirit convinces you of the words. In other words, this is not a matter of wishful thinking. The Holy Spirit is the convincer. You see, it is God which worketh in you, both to will, there's your faith response, and to do, there's your divine enablement of his good pleasure. In other words, faith is always a response. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So between God authoring faith and finishing faith is faith, <laughs> the faith response. Now, faith is not a work. It's dependence upon the worker. Faith is not automatic. Uh, you can resist. But the fact is you will never believe in God for anything without the Spirit of God stirring you that you can. You see, he's the convincer. Hebrews 11.1 uh, says that uh, faith has to have evidence. That's the noun of the verb in John 16 when it says that the Holy Spirit will reprove, convict, convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. See, the Holy Spirit is the convincer. And so it's not a matter of us just saying, well, you know, let me try these. It's when the Spirit of God stirs you. Hey, you can trust me based on those words. Hey, Look at these words right here. Sometimes when your pastor is preaching, you know what it's like when the Spirit of God just stirs and those words come alive. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. 
He's illuminating that truth connected to the words. And in that illumination, he convinces you. You can trust. And so faith then is that response. But the point is, the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces. In chapter 16, a couple chapters later, he's uh, there as the spirit of truth. Uh, we're told that he's the one that will guide you into all truth. In other words, he's the one that guides you to the appropriate words for the appropriate occasion. He's the one that guided those two ladies to the words of Isaiah 44, verse 3. For this occasion of this revival that we now call the Lewis Revival. You see, the Spirit is the one who convinces. As the revival continued, Duncan Campbell tells the story that he was speaking with Peggy and Christine, these elderly ladies. And he said, how did you know? that you could actually stand on those words and have an, a, 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 an actual expectation that revival was coming. They said that particular night, now remember they'd been praying for a couple of months, asking, crying out, Lord help, seeking. But now came a special moment. And they said that night we had such a consciousness of God that it produced a conviction in his words of Isaiah 44, verse 3. In other words, when we talk about God manifesting his presence on that night when the revival broke open in the town of Barbas, that happened in their, their little cottage months before. It was the presence of God. The consciousness, you see, when God's presence is manifest, every human being in that area is aware. In this case, it was just their cottage. And they became so conscious of God's presence that that's what produced that conviction or confidence in his promise. So the Holy Spirit convinces you of the words in order to author faith. But then you have to respond. Number four, believing words for works precedes believing greater words for greater works. Now, this is actually a very simple truth. Believing words for works precedes believing greater words for greater works. You'll notice there's an order in verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works. So works precede to greater works, which means words precede greater words. Believing words for works precedes believing greater words for greater works. Another way to say this is faith for personal revival precedes faith for greater revival. It's very simple. You know who the intercessors are in any revival story? They're the people that have already stepped into personal revival. And you look at it and you study it, it's exactly what's happening. The intercessors are already in revival. Now they're seeking God's blessing for those who will not seek on their own. That's intercession when it comes to revival. And so the reality is you'll never be an intercessor for greater works until you learn to believe God for personal revival for yourself. And what's neat about this, we've noted this week the difference between facts and promises. 
We're dealing with the promise here when it comes to greater works. But the provision for you and I to walk in the life of Jesus is based on facts. Christ lives in me. Thanks be to God who is giving us the victory, our Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In all its manifestations, we've been hitting all of these facts all week long. And God wants us to take them and experience Jesus because that's personal revival. The word revive means again life. Re-again, vive life. Life again. It's restoration to life. Just as physical revival is somebody who's restored to physical life, spiritual revival is being restored to spiritual life, life in the spirit, the life of God that moved in when you were born again, the eternal life now accessed as the abundant life so that your life, your personality is animated by the divine life. That is the essence of personal revival. You're being restored back to life again as that life of Jesus is now animating you without the hindrance of flesh and self-will and self-dependence. And so all week long we've been dealing with, you know, who is the real leader? Who are you yielding to? Where is your focus? Because that determines your dependence. And when the focus is on Jesus and thus the dependence on Jesus, that's when his power, his life is animating yours and you're experiencing personal revival. We could call that believing regular words. They're all throughout the New Testament. Romans 6, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Philippians 2. All of these passages that deal with the simplicity of the Spirit for life, where by faith the Spirit fills you with the life of Christ. Regular words. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a command that is in the present tense. We're supposed to allow ourselves to be filled all the time. God wants us to live in that. And friends, when you don't, you'll never have faith for something big. But you know, when you begin to trust God, when you begin to take Jesus' life in you and you begin to experience his patience where normally you would be irritated, irritated, frustrated and maybe even quick-tempered and lashing back out and you experience that soft answer and you take Jesus and you experience that freedom when there's something evil over here to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you didn't see it and you learn to trust Jesus uh, uh, for uh, loving that person who's not being very lovely to you and so on and you're experiencing Jesus for personal revival and you're trusting him here and you're seeing uh, what God does in your relationship uh, in your home with your spouse and with your children and you're watching God work you see what God does then is look you're trusting him for regular words and then the spirit of God comes and says hey let me show you some greater words for greater works let me show you some words that can bless those who will never seek blessing on their own that's what intercessors do. That's when you can seek the Lord for greater words as the foundation of faith for greater works. See, those ladies knew that once God gave them the words, they could expect God to do it. Well, how many of us would just, you know, be ready for that? Well, it's because they were walking by faith every day. That's why. Friends, that's why personal revival is not just something that's nice every, you know, 12 months. <laughs> we have a revival meeting. No, uh, it's, this is daily. God wants us to experience Jesus, experience his love, experience his joy, experience his peace, experience his patience, his goodness, his faith, his meekness, his temper. Experience Jesus. 
so that God is so real to you that he can stir you with, hey, trust me for something bigger. Trust me now for a promise that will impact somebody else. You've trusted me for facts for yourself. Now let's go beyond that and trust for a promise for greater works. You'll notice it says, in greater works than these shall he do. So this moves beyond a fact to a promise. Wow. Do you realize how important the last six days are, five days, in connection with this truth? See, what we've been dealing with night after night after night, that's the foundation for God is stirring you and God's becoming real. And you know, I can trust God. I trusted him yesterday. I can trust him today. That means I can trust him tomorrow because tomorrow will be today. And you can keep trusting. And then God can stir you with some greater words. And that brings us to number five. The expression of faith for greater works is asking. In Jesus' name. Now notice he says, because I go to my Father. Now often we miss the power of that phrase, but it's very key to understanding John 14, 12. What happened when Jesus went to the Father? Well, we read about it in Ephesians chapter 1. God displayed his power when he raised Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. You see, he's on the throne far above the enemy. He says, greater works than these shall he do because I go to my father. Because now the authority that Adam had, had tragically given away to Satan in the Garden of Eden, thus making Satan the god of this world, Jesus regained at the cross by uh, sin's uh, wage being atoned for. And Jesus now conquering all of that, sat down on the throne. He had received back that authority over the enemy. And friends, when there is this outpouring of the Spirit. See, the filling of the Spirit is when God fills you with his life. That's personal revival. The outpouring of the Spirit is when God fills the atmosphere with his life. So that everyone is conscious and aware of the presence of God. And in order for that to happen, the powers of darkness have to be bound and banished. And the power of the Spirit displayed. And that all happens because Jesus went to the Father. There it is. And then he says, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. See, his authority, his person, his leadership, his power, him. That will I do. See, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. See, based on words, that will I do. There's your works. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And it's as if he knows we might not get it, so he says it a second time. Verse 14. If he shall ask... Anything in my name, I will do it. The expression of faith is asking. In other words, the promises indicate that it's not here yet. Greater works than these shall he do, which means it's not is yet. That's why we have to ask, as we noted the other night. Generally speaking, the first step of faith for a promise is asking. And here it's spelled out again. It's spelled out this way in many, many times. Now, this is not a matter of striving. If you're striving, uh, you're, you, that's, that's where we sometimes get things worked up in the flesh. But when you're asking, you're asking, you're asking, and then when God says, okay, here's your words, now you can take them, and the prayer changes. You've prayed, God has stirred you, here's the words, and like the ladies, they can say, okay, it's coming now, God, 
There's, you've given us the covenant. You've given us the promise. There has to be a time when that promise is fulfilled. And in that kind of praying, it's not striving because they knew. It was just saying, God, this is what you said. So sooner or later, you got to do it. <laughs> and so their authority was in his name. God, this is what you said. You gave us these words. It's your authority. It's your power. And so we ask you to bring it to pass. In the summer of 2000, I went to the island of Lewis, met with four people that were converted in the revival. One of them was a, a man by the name of Donald McPhail. He was 66 years old when I met him. He was 16. How many 16-year-olds here tonight? Raise your hand. All right. He was 16. Uh, when he got converted in the revival, April uh, of 1950 in the village of Arnold, as that revival had continued for a couple of months, that's when Donald McPhail got saved. He was a six-foot-six teenager. And uh, uh, he grew in the Lord quickly. That happens in times of revival. And on two accounts, when Duncan Campbell went to another village and the atmosphere was thick and heavy, uh, he would ask the praying men to come. And on two accounts, when Donald stood up and prayed, the fire fell. The atmosphere was altered. I mean, God came down. Well, this is the man I had the privilege of meeting in July 2000 in the very building that he was converted in in April of 1950. He was so puzzled why we would come to the island of Lewis to search and research the Lewis revival because in his understanding, revivals happen all the time. <laughs> And that had been his experience. Before we left, we met together for two hours. He prayed for my wife and I. There was nothing dramatic, no lightning, you know, none of that. But I knew that he wasn't just saying words. We went back to our bed and breakfast and I scrambled to write down everything I could remember that he had prayed. Within about five days, I was over on... We had left Scotland, went to Ireland. I was in a church meeting where the whole church had taken up work and gone to camp on the second night. And there's much more to the story. But God answered that man's prayer. And God came. God came to a church, an independent Baptist church <laughs> in Ireland. And I'm going to tell you, when God came, time was lost. We had those meetings after the meetings. Not that that has to happen. Sometimes that, that's not what happens. Uh, but that is what happened in this account. And, and I'd preach in the morning. I'd preach in the evening. Then we'd have these after meetings. The after meetings would go to midnight. Nobody wanted to go back to, their, back to their room. Why? Because God had come. I remember teenagers crying out to God. Kids that I knew. I'd been there in 96 and 98. Here, this was uh, the summer of 2000. And I mean, these kids were coming clean with God. The adults were coming clean with God. I had to peek a few times. I mean, because I knew these people. And I just look, and here's this teenager uh, with that red hair, that Irish hair, and just these words flowing out of his mouth, coming clean with God. And I'm going to tell you, <laughs> oh, wow, God radically changed those lives. God radically changed that church. You know, there are still moments when that's needed. The bottom line is, God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. If we were filled with the Spirit all the time, we wouldn't have to have one of these. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't take the whole church to step into personal revival for there to be a corporate revival. You just need a few that step in and mean business and begin to pray, God, send us something bigger. Lord, move in a way where those who are not seeking you will be confronted with you and have a chance to get blessed because that's what happens. 
when the revival came in Ireland, there were some who had no idea that this was coming. <laughs> uh, that's not why they were there. They were just this camp, we're having fun, and so forth. And God came so powerfully. I remember one girl. She later went to the Philippines, won hundreds of people to Christ uh, for many years. But I remember her. She was just, you know, as worldly as anybody. But man, God got a hold of her. And four years later, she said the, the, the presence of Jesus that night was so real that if he had showed up in a, his body like he did when he walked this earth, it would have made no difference. That's a season of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. According to Acts 2, verse 17, it's, the scripture says in the last days, well, we're still in them because it started on the day of Pentecost. And according to Hebrews and 1 Timothy, we're still in the last days. And Peter said, in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Peter tells us later in the book of Peter that God delays his coming. Why? Not willing that any should perish. that all should come to repentance. Wow, why hasn't Jesus come yet? The population of planet Earth at the time of Christ was 300 million. 1,000 years later, it had only grown to 310 million. 500 years later, so 1500 A.D., it had gone from 310 million to 500 million. So a little bit of growth there, population on planet Earth. 400 years later, bringing you to 1900, it had gone from 500 million to 1.5 billion. It had spiked. 100 years later, the year 2000, it was up to 7 billion. Radical spike. That's why the stats tell us that there are as many people living on planet Earth today as have ever lived in human history. When you catch those numbers, it makes sense. And friends, what that means is without an outpouring of the Spirit, without a great awakening, hell will double in one generation. But with a great awakening, heaven will double. And it is in the heart of God to move. Why? Because God prefers to, revi to revive his awaken the lost. God prefers to deliver rather than to judge. When judgment was ready to fall on Nineveh, and God gave them one last chance through the message of Jonah. They repented. And Jonah's message was 40 days and judgment's coming. And they responded to that message. And that judgment was delayed by 150 years. Now friends, I don't know God's timetable, but I know this. It's still in the heart of God to move. It's still in the heart of God to manifest his presence and whether it is a room like this where the presence of God is so real that we all see God for who he is and thus see sin for what it is, or whether it's God all over a community like Oklahoma City and then moving from community to community, which he's done many times in the United States history. Regardless, we need God to come. Let's believe Jesus for greater works. Let's not go beyond. Let's not make it up. Let's not do the wishful thinking thing. That causes people to crash and burn. But let's just begin to seek like those ladies did. Let's walk in personal revival. And then when God says, here's some greater words, let's stand on them and bring those words to the throne until what God has given is manifested. Let's bow our heads for prayer.
two major thoughts to those who know the Lord. First of all, I wonder who tonight would say, Preacher, God's speaking to me. Wow. God can move like that. He's done that. And by the way, that's one of a multitude of stories I could tell you. But God's moved like that. God can still do that. But I don't know if I have the faith for it. I need to get down to business on personal revival. I need to start walking with God. That spirit for life. That walking in the spirit. That walk of faith. Things that we've been dealing with all week long. The simplicity of taking the reality of Christ's life in you. So that you experience his love and his joy and his patience and all of that. I wonder who tonight was a preacher. God is really impressing upon my heart the need to walk in personal revival so that God can stir me for greater revival. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Many hands tonight. Many adults, many young people. Amen. God bless. Now, I wonder who would say, Preacher, God's stirring me about the intercession part. To begin to seek his face. To cry out. To not act like I have the promise when I don't. But to at least begin to seek him. And then when he gives words to take them and say, all right, God, we're going to trust you. And now we're going to thank you for the words you've given and ask you to manifest them. I wonder who would say, preacher, God's challenging me on the intercession part of this. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Again, I'm thrilled because we have teenagers, we have adults, we have ladies, we have men. I'm going to tell you something. We can't afford to have one service that doesn't have the dynamic of the presence of God real. And I realize there's a greater intensity at times like I'm describing. But we always need the presence of God. Be a wonderful thing. Maybe this is already the case. For there to be some intercessors who take it upon you to be the ones that lift up this church, this pastor, these services, service by service and say, God, we need your presence felt every time we meet. God says, seek his face continually. Seek his presence continually. And I'm going to tell you, when you get just a handful of intercessors to take it seriously like that, that's when things change. Things begin to happen. Now let me ask this. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. Perhaps you're here tonight. If you died right now or 10 years from now, you don't know your sins are forgiven. You don't know you're going to heaven. You might hope you are, but you don't know. I'm going to tell you something, friend. Jesus is real. And hell is real. And sin is real. I think you know that. And Jesus is the only way. You need him. Not you plus him. Not you trying to get to heaven on your own. No. You need him. That's why he came. He died for you. He rose again. I wonder who would say, Preacher, if I died right now, I don't think, I, I don't think I'd be going to heaven. I don't know my sins are forgiven. If I can know that, I, I, I want to know that. God's speaking to me. That's my need. If that's you, would you raise the hand? Say, Preacher, that's me. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I don't know I have eternal life. Please pray for me. All right? I see that hand. Is there another? Say, Preacher, God's speaking to me. I don't know that I'm saved. I need that. Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless tonight. And Lord, for this one or ones that needs to know you in salvation, may tonight be the night. Lord, for those that you're speaking to in regard to really genuinely taking seriously this matter of living in personal revival, that they might be a candidate for you to stir for greater words. Lord, others to whom you're already speaking about this matter of intercession. Lord, may we talk to you now about what you're talking to us about. Let's stand to our feet, please, with our heads bowed. Friends, where God has spoken to you, let me encourage you. Let's do business with God. 
And as some may come to get on their knees, if you're here tonight and you don't know that you're saved, it's not an accident you're here. You need to be saved, and you can be tonight. Pastor Carsey's will be here at the front. The penis is going to play through a verse of a song. If God's speaking to you, as others come for other reasons, you come and tell Pastor, hey, I need to get saved. And he'll have a trained worker, a lady for a lady, a man for a man, uh, take you aside, only take a minute, and show you from the words of God, words that you can trust for salvation, and you can walk out of here saved tonight. Whatever you need is, will you obey God right now as the music plays? Friend, if you don't know Jesus, while others are coming, getting on their knees, calling on God about other things, why don't you step out? If there's somebody between you and the aisle, just say, excuse me, they'll be glad to let you out. Let Pastor Carsey know, I need to get saved. I need to get saved. That is your need. Why don't you come right now? if you're here tonight and if you died now or 10 years from now you don't know Jesus you don't know that you'd go to heaven I want you to know I'd be delighted to speak with you afterwards Pastor Wood Pastor uh, Mrs. Uh, Carsey's Wood whatever maybe somebody around you that uh, you know that uh, would have the answer but you need to get that settled if that's your need tonight I trust that you'll let one of us talk to you I'll be hanging around and I'd be love to uh, love to talk to you about that I hope you'll let one of us talk to you all right Pastor one upon the other and tonight this was a wonderful message again we're not going to forget this folks we will not forget this you know that I know that and I would suggest that we take it home and we begin on an individual basis you don't have to announce it you don't have to get a big group together and put anything in the bulletin just you as a husband or as a wife or as a child or as a teenager just you alone day by day think through what we've heard tonight have your bible open read the word meditate and then pray next day you do the same thing there will come a time perhaps probably where you'll want to uh say to your wife why don't the two of us do this together okay might be a child that says, Dad, you know, I've been reading my Bible every day and praying. Uh, could we pray together? It'd be wonderful if the dad would say to the child, Hey, 
How about we get together and pray? Maybe a family. Who knows, a week later, a month later, three months later, might be two couples, might be three guys. Two ladies, just, so it started with one, and it was two, it wasn't, it wasn't planned, we didn't get down and write it all out, you know, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna contact so-and-so, and we'll do this together, and then we'll include them too, and well, who are, yeah, let's get some other friends over here. No, it's just like, you just start all by yourself yeah. every day, and I'll do the same thing. I'll do, I'm, I'll do, I'm doing what I'm, I said her nice, I'm, I'm doing this, I know what I'm doing. I think we'll just share it with the people. So I'll be doing that too, by myself. Before I ever talk to my wife about it, I'll be doing it by myself. You, you do that. But remember, it's with a word and prayer. And when he started preaching, I leaned over to my wife and I said, there goes my Sunday morning message. When he said, turn to John 14, I said, not verse 12, please. <laughs> he went to verse 12. I had a couple things circled there. But it wasn't the whole message. It was one little piece of the message, as, as it turned out, okay? He didn't go the direction I thought he'd go. Praise the Lord, brother, okay? But that is John 14, 12 is in the message. Unless I say we've heard enough of that verse, I got another one that says about the same thing, okay? But this was a wonderful service tonight, and I really, I really appreciate what we've heard. I appreciate every message this week, and it is a blessing to have you here. I tell you, it is. We we just have great fellowship together, like-minded brothers, and uh, I just I know we're going to invite him to come back. Come back. Well, he'll come back. Okay. Then you can say this is the tenth time I've been here. <laughs> then he's going to say some of us getting old around here. I'll say, yeah, I wonder who that is. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you very much for the word of God that we've heard again tonight. We have been excited before this week ever began, knowing that as we were praying that you would answer prayer and you would give our evangelists the messages that we need here, knowing everyone that would come to every service and what the needs of their heart are. And we just thank you, Father, that we, we can say tonight with confidence that you have shown yourself to us through your word. Thank you for the response of our people, the faithfulness and coming night after night. Probably the best attendance we've had in a long time, consistently through the week. I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the response of our people and the comments that they've made and how you're dealing with them and speaking their heart and they've been thrilled and enjoyed and learned so much. I thank you for the message tonight and I pray that this would be just the seed of the beginning of a special moving in families in the life of this church and outside of this church. For thy praise and thy glory, we ask tonight in Jesus' name, and as he said, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Amen.